Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. So who is going to win the championship game, Final Four uh, games going on right now? We're actually talking about the Final Four most significant events in the life of Jesus. That's what this series is all about. And you, you can't talk about the Final Four. You can't talk about significant events, ways that we are impacted and the world was impacted by the last few days of Jesus without talking about the Last Supper, without talking about the communion meal that the disciples and Jesus enjoyed. And the, the best way that I can describe it is this. It's, it's just like when a coach calls a timeout There's a few seconds left on the clock. The game is on the line. This happened in the Virginia game last night. A few seconds left in the game. The coach calls a timeout, and he huddles his team together one more time. He says, all right, guys, this is it. This this is the game. The game is on the line. I've got one more chance to speak to you before the game's over. One play that I want to wrap. Here is how we win the game. This is the play that we're going to run. This is what we're going to do to do. I don't know what's going to I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what defense or offense they're going to run, but this is what we are going to do. So everybody just really quick right before the game ends, we'll take a pause. We'll call timeout and we will huddle together. Jesus, right before he dies, calls a timeout and he huddles one last time with his team. And what do you think coach Jesus did? With a few seconds left on the clock right before the game was going to be over, what do you think Jesus told those followers when they hit the pause button that that time before everything broke loose, before they were going to see things and hear things and encounter things that they never thought that they would experience in their life? What do you think Jesus said the last time he would have all of them together before his death? Here's how Jesus sets it up in Luke 22. When the hour came... Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. When the hour came, they hit pause and they reclined at the table. The first thing that I think about when we do communion and the Lord's Supper together is I think about the times that Jesus hit pause and remembered. He instructed his disciples. There was no such thing as fast food in this century. There was no way to hurry through a meal. I mean, when people ate together, the the table was a place of fellowship. It was a place of connection. It was a place of relaxation. And, And so Jesus finished the Passover meal. They finished eating the main meal together. And Scripture says that at this point they are just surrounding the table, reclining, enjoying one another, talking not rushing. It's not a ritualistic thing. They were just being with each other. It was extremely intentional. Jesus planned it this way and he prepared for it this way. It was not a typical meal, not a typical way to even end a meal together. It was planned out. He and his disciples were hitting the pause button, just like we're going to do this morning, to talk about the meaning and the significance of what they were getting ready to see and what Jesus was getting ready to do and to allow that to sink in. And that's one of the reasons why we do communion here at Revo the way we do. I'm not knocking other churches. I'm not saying they're wrong. or it's, I'm just saying it's different. But this is the way we do it. Instead of tagging it on to the end of a service, 
Or instead of doing it every Sunday where it kind of becomes just a, a routine, just like something that we do all the time, or, or I, I preach a sermon about something totally different, and then at the very end we're like, oh, but hey, wait, we're going to do communion, like just five-minute break here, just want to get everybody's attention, we're going to do communion, come up here. Instead of doing that, we do what Jesus did here and we hit pause. It's not a routine, it's not a ritual, it's something special. It's something that's rooted in meaning and significance. And when we do it, we dedicate the entire service to it, explaining it and taking it together and getting our hearts and minds in the right place. And so Jesus, as they were reclining around the table, Jesus says, guys, huddle up, huddle up, time out. Let me hit the pause button right quick and tell you what's getting ready to happen. Let me explain to you again the things that you're going to see and what this means and the significance and the focus that it's going to take to experience such a powerful movement. I love that Jesus didn't treat it flippantly, that he didn't just rush on his way from the end of dinner to the prayer in Gethsemane, that he didn't be like, oh, shoot, okay, guys, hey, let me, let me give you something real quick. Just keep walking. We don't have time. Like, just keep pushing. We get, we're on a schedule here. Let me tell you what this is and what this is all about. No, he hit pause. And it was significant, and it was heavy, and it was focused, and it was important. In, in John 13, we read John's layout of this meal. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Sometimes a uh, sports caster will sit down with a coach and right before the big game, they'll ask them. They ask the same questions all the time on TV. They say, what do you, what'd you tell your team? They're in the locker room. They're getting ready to come out and play the biggest game of the year. This is the final four. This is the championship. What did you tell your team? And oftentimes, coaches will say this. I told them to enjoy the moment. You know how many hundreds of teams would love to be where we're at right now? That only four reach it to the final four. And, you know, we're going to run our plays, and we're going to do our thing, and we're going to leave it all out on the court. But I told him, I just said, enjoy the moment. Like, this is what you come to college for. This is what we work so hard for. Enjoy the crowd. Enjoy the setting. Enjoy being in the Final Four. Enjoy all of the pomp and circumstance with it. Like, don't be so focused on what you have to do that you don't enjoy the moment that you're in. If anybody deserved to enjoy the moment, it was Jesus. You see what this guy has done with his life? I hate to break it to you, but this guy was in ministry for three and a half years. He accomplished more things of impact and significance than you will in your entire life, all of us put together. If anybody would have enjoyed getting to the end of his life and for people patting him on the back saying, man, Jesus, all you've done... Think about the thousands you've touched. Think about the sermons. Think about the people you've changed. Think about the healings. You deserve it, Jesus. This one's for you. Enjoy the moment, Jesus. You've worked so hard, and it all leads up to this, and now you'll become the Savior of the world. Enjoy the moment, Jesus. Just soak it in. 
Like Jesus knew, Scripture lays it out that he was a big deal. In John's passage, it says that all the power and authority were given to Jesus, that he came from God and that he was going to God. If anybody should have walked into that last supper with their head held high, it should have been Jesus. But John, as soon as he makes it clear that Jesus was given all authority and all power by God, that he came from God and that he was going to God, you would think at that moment, like the, the, the proper ending to that verse would be, and when Jesus walked into the room, his disciples started a slow clap for him. And it began chanting his name, acknowledging everything that he had done. Maybe Jesus walks into the room and they pick Jesus up and they put him on their shoulders and they're cheering his name and, and making him go out on top, making him feel really good. But John actually says he had been given all the power by the Father that he had come from God and returning from God. So at the moment where he should have been enjoying his life the most, here's what he did. He got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Don't miss that this meal started with humility and service to others. Jesus humbled himself, the most powerful person in the room, the one of greatest significance, the one that had impacted Thousands of people, and now thousands of years later, millions and millions and millions of people. And at the time where he should have been soaking in the moment, in an act of humility and service, he bends down and washes the disciples' feet. Even to the end of his life, humbling himself and sacrificing for the sake of you and me. John continues in verse 21, after he had said this, and after he had washed these disciples' feet, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he testified. Here's what Jesus said. Very truly, I tell you, one of you around this table is going to betray me. And in verse 26, Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, we know that. We've heard this story a million times. We know that Judas is the one that betrayed Jesus. But can I remind you of the order of these verses? Because Jesus washed the disciples' feet in verses 1 through 5, and he called Judas out in verse 26. You know what that means? That Jesus, in humility and service, even washed the feet of Judas. That even his biggest foe, the man that in mere moments would stab Jesus in the back and betray him. Jesus humbled himself and washed the feet of G Judas. That even the example that we have from this meal is that we don't just love and serve and care and give ourselves and sacrifice for those that we love and that love us, but that Jesus said, I'll even wash the feet of my enemies. I'll even do this for those that are far from me. Heads up, you were far from God when he gave his life for you. And what a powerful reminder of that as you picture Jesus bending down, looking at Judas in the face, knowing what Judas was going to do, and yet he humbled himself and washed Judas' feet anyway. Can I remind you that when you think you have sinned so much, that when you think you have run from God for so long, and you think you have done so much to separate yourself from God, can I remind you that Jesus knelt before the very man that would betray him 
in a few hours, and he still loved him, and he still served him. You are never too far away from God to experience his love. You are never too far away from God to experience the love that he has for you. John 13, back up a few verses, Jesus says, somebody at this table is going to betray me. And before he mentioned the name of Judas, in verse 22, he says, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. That's typical Simon, right? He's like, hey, everybody here, it's going to assume it's me. Ask him. I don't think it's me. Ask him. You ask him. And I love that John wrote that because John is the one that's writing this and John is speaking of himself and he says, one of him, the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> Leaning back against Jesus, we're close. He asked him, Lord, who is it? Matthew records it like this. They were very sad and began to say to Jesus, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Surely it's not me, God, is it? I love the vulnerability of the disciples and their ability here, even in this passage, to see the importance of checking their own heart. Do you know that part of communion is you and I, before we take it, checking our own life, being willing to look at God and say, God, is there anything in me? What about me, Lord? Anything in my heart that I need to confess to you? Any sin in my life? Is there any way that I am cheapening this grace that you have given to us? God, because if there is, I want to confess it. It's not me, is it, Lord? There's nothing in my heart, in my life. God, reveal it to me right now. Reveal it to me. I want to confess those things. After what you've done for me, I don't want to have that in my heart against you. And every disciple said, is it me? It's not me. Is it every one of them checked their heart? Every one of them were willing to wrestle with their own sin. Judas would end up betraying Jesus. Peter would end up denying Jesus three times. At the time when Jesus needed his tight-knit group the most, Scripture says all of the disciples scattered and ran away. And sometimes when we think of communion, we can think of the sins of other people. That's the reason why Jesus had to die, the sins of people thousands of years ago. But the reality is that the same thing that Judas, Peter, the other disciples, John, all of them did are sins that you and I are guilty of every single day. Jesus didn't die on the cross and give his life for other people. He did it for you, and he did it for me. What would it look like to check your heart this morning and say, God, is there anything, anything, any sin, any dark area that I need to confess to you because your grace is sufficient? Your sacrifice was for me, for the forgiveness of, of my sins. So the final moments that Jesus got to spend with his followers, the final moments that the coach was with his players, Jesus reminded them of what it means to be one of his followers. He said, I want to remind you that it's going to be through humility and service. You want to know how we win the game? Humility and service. You want to know how we reach more people? Humble yourself and serve others. Take on that attitude. The next thing he says, man, you humble and you serve even the people that don't love you. 
Even the people that don't deserve it. Even the people that will stab you in the back. Even the people that are far from God. Even the people that will mock you. Even the people that don't believe the same thing you do. Yes, love and serve them. Humble yourself in front of them. Here's the last play. This is how we win the game. This is the plan moving forward. He said, finally, we we hit pause. We hit pause and we'll remember. Take time to collect our thoughts. Take time to take a breath and to look at what this really means and what this symbolizes in our hearts and in our minds. I want to pray for you real quick. The band is going to come back out and we're going to to play one song and I, I just want to challenge you to put some of those things into practice. Just over the next five minutes, just to sit there and ask yourself, I dare you to ask yourself the question that the disciples asked. What about me, God? Is there anything in my life? Is there anything that I need to confess? Are there anything that I need to say? Is there, is there anything, God, that would, again, cheapen the grace and the sacrifice that you've given? If so, I want to know. God, show me. I want to repent from that. I want to confess those things to you and, and reissue my reliance on you and what you've done for me. And maybe there's people that you need to love, ways that you need to serve, parts of your life that you need to humble so that you can become more like Jesus. Don't, don't come to a table that symbolizes love and humility and, and service and not be willing to ask yourself, Jesus, what about me? What does that look for me? Who are you calling me to serve? Who are you calling me to love? How are you calling me to humble myself? for the benefit of others, so that more people can know who Jesus is. Over the next few minutes, before we come to the table, I just want you to think about that. Wrestle with that. Pray through those things. Spend a few minutes worshiping before we take the elements together.